It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. My name is Manuel Weff and as always I'm joined by Andrew Flint who's all the way over in Siberia once again. Andrew, how's it going? How's the weather over there? Winter yet? Uh, winter's not coming just yet. Um, we're actually positively balmy at the moment. I'd say about plus 10 degrees so I'm counting myself very lucky but yeah, it's things all right over here. Um New job started last week, a bit busy, but um, I've got this to look forward to in the evening. So, yeah, very much looking forward to going over one good and one bad, certainly, um, for the Russian teams. But, yeah, it should be a good one. Yeah, it should be a good one. I always love talking about the Champions League. And joining us to do that is Tim. And Tim, very much winter here on the West Coast, hey? It's like raining buckets. I feel like I've been flooded out of my house. Yeah, that was the case yesterday. Yesterday was horrible in terms of like it was massive rain. But who cares when Spartak performs <laughs> so great in Champions League? Who cares about the weather? Oh man, we're going to have plenty to talk about because it's not just the Champions League that they have picked things up. It's across the board, and um, you know that's really what I want to start with this week is the the Russian Football Premier League, and you know we're nearing Russian winter. Although Andrew is refusing to accept that and uh, <laughs> a 10 balmy 10 degrees that's pretty much winter where i am from but andrew that table is forming up really nicely and you know spartak picking up some decent results lately has meant that the table now when i'm looking senate first and senate drop points as have csk uh, sorry not csk as have locomotive and that means that between first, which is Senate, uh, and fifth, which is Bartok, there's only eight points and anything in between is like a nice little sandwich. Um, and you know, we talked many times about this. The Russian football premier league has pretty much two seasons, the, the one before the winter and the one after the winter. And we're getting towards the near end of the season before the winter. And, um, I think the way it's looking now, it's going to set it up really nicely for our tight title challenge after the winter, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm personally delighted because I'm more or less a neutral when it comes to the top end of the table as an Oral fan. And the fact that 
It's a neat loss. Well, you're actually right now in the top half of the table, so you should be well, involved. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true, Tim. You and you and I are now rivals. Only one point between us at the moment, so we'll be fighting it out for Europa League, I think. But, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, <clears throat> Manny, you meant that the table at the top is... Um, I'm delighted because it really did look, and we were saying in the early podcasts this season, that Zanita just running away with this. They've got the best squad. They've got the best, probably the best manager, you could argue. Certainly one of the biggest names anyway. Um, you know, the new stadium and they're filling the stadium as well. Um, it, I couldn't really see any way that they could they could falter. But just, it's, it's amazing how football can do this. In a blink of an eye, they've lost to Arsenal Tula. They face... Tiska Moscow on Sunday and Tiska, okay, their Champions League result was not great and we'll come on to that in a moment. But in a weird way, I kind of think that will help their league prospects a little bit. And if they win that at home, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one of the smallest, thinnest squads in the league, Tiska Moscow, could be just one point behind Zanit. Lokomotiv could be top of the table. Krasnodar lost three in a row. Ordal are closing in on Europa League. It's, it's, it's absolute madness. We, we can't predict it anymore. Yeah, what I think is madness that Spartak, I know it's eight points, but I've learned, you know, in all the years that I've been watching uh, Russian football, I've learned that eight points is nothing. It's, um, it's one of those leagues. It's really one of those most undervalued leagues, in my opinion. You know, everyone always talks about competitiveness and how exciting all those leagues are in Europe. And, um, I think, the Russian league, maybe even more than the, the Premier League, um, has, has that competitiveness. A, it's only 16 teams. And B, it's, there's so many sides in the top that take points from each other, which makes it such, so unpredictable. And we basically had Spartak discounted from the title race, hadn't we? And said, well, there's no way they're going to defend their title. Now we're on match day 13. It's only 88 points and eight points again is not very much. Um, especially because they always play each other. They take points from each other. And Tim, it, out of a sudden, you know, it's looking pretty good for Spartak again. Well, you know, just to, I wasn't really in a tragic situation against Spartak. We had this bad spell, but, uh, on the field, it wasn't that bad. Like, the results weren't really going our way. But uh, there was quite a few unlucky games where we deservedly lost. But it wasn't really that tragic. So I still had the hope. I, I still don't think it will be... I don't. Th- I think it will be hard to defend the title. But to be in a title race, that's what we need. Like, you know, as, as fans, we clearly understand in, in today's modern league, it's impossible to win the nine trophies in 10 years. So, but to be in contention for the trophy, that's what the fond fans want. We want to be in Europe. We want to uh, be in contention for the cup or uh, and the league. And this is what's happening right now in in uh, the Spartak. So I, I'm I'm very excited about that. I like I said I wasn't all tragic about that bad spell because like I said on the field we were still not great, but I, I saw the positives and that really that the, the last national team break two weeks really helped like Spartak that was the team which really needed it um, we had quite a few injuries I believe it was 10 or 11 in total and a lot of those injuries were muscle injuries which were really recovered in this uh, in this two weeks break uh, Promise came back Glushakov came back and uh, it really it really helped the team to make this little bit of extra step to bring that uh, last season's performance yeah I think that if if any team um, needed the national team break. It was Spartak. Exactly. 
And that's that's really you know I think when you when you look back and this is this is something that we've it's been kind of a little bit of a theme for us, hasn't it? That um, really when you go back to the Confederations Cup and how short the break was between the Confederations Cup and the league season kicking off in Russia, it was uh, what was it? It's just a few weeks, I think three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. It's really not very much, you know. After three or four weeks after the Confed Cup ended. Most Bundesliga teams were somewhere in Asia or in the US playing friendlies and they were already right back into that league action. And that's, that's really, you know, that's due to the, the way the league is, is scheduled, of course. And that's a topic, you know, that we'll get into, I guess, once we have to fill stuff during the three month long winter break. We can talk plenty about scheduling and, um, the shortcomings of the, the current league schedule. But, um, Andrew, that's really something that's, you know, helped them. I think that two weeks now, the international break, um, getting the team together. I think Quincy Brom is not playing with the Netherlands. Um, we, we talk plenty about what's all wrong with the Netherlands, but him not going there and um, basically just resting his injury out and, um, being reintegrated in the squad. That was an enormous help for them, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely! You can never, you can never underestimate the impact that, that Quincy Promise has, not just on Spartak but on the league itself. You know, the opponents, the fear factor of seeing him in, on the team sheet, um, and yeah, well, you, you hit Manel on the head, guys. The that international break made a difference. Um, but like Tim said, actually, to be fair, you look at those defeats. Okay, there's a neat result that stands out by the scoreline. Okay. That was it. Was one of those nights where Zanit were brilliant and Spartak couldn't live with them on the night. But you look at the other games, the the locomotive game. You have got to remember that was um, I can't remember. Was it Jikia who was sent off? There was uh, a red card. Samedo sent off three um, 0 up at that point. They were three 0 up against a, a team who are now second in the league. Um, okay, they did collapse. It was ten men. I still think they should have probably defended better, but there were mitigating circumstances. Um, and you know the the game against Tiscar was only a two one defeat. And you, if you take hmm? game against Dosna as well, yeah, that was unfortunate oh. because that was an offside goal that was that decided the match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sorry, yes, yes. You're sorry, I see. I see what you're getting at. Yeah, I mean, you know, there you go. That's an, yet another example of what I'm of, of what I'm getting at. You know, there are mitigating circumstances here, and you know the the fact is that Spartak are now on. The longest unbeaten run they've had in over a decade. Um, they they are conceding some goals, but they're scoring a lot. They've got the best players back. The influence of Promise, I, I would even argue that Glushikov's influence is almost more important, certainly as important. They're back. They're both scoring goals. There's a couple of, co- of comfortable home games coming up, and and then suddenly they could be right back in the in the fight for the title. So I think um, I think Tim. You, your confidence was well placed on this occasion, but you've got to keep watching your back, though. You're only only one point <laughs> gap to to Ural. Yeah, and no, but, but boys, um, two things before we we jump into the Champions League. First of all, you know the the fact that it's a need have now dropped four points and um, sorry five points in two games against Archimachkala and uh, Arsenal Tula. Have they been found out? I, I don't think they were I don't think they're found out it's still we need to still remember how much uh, new players came in into the squad and um, 
you know, I think still, still Mancini is figuring out the, the team. There's so many because, uh, like you know, like uh, we've been talking, all the Argentinians who came back from that um, international break, they were not in their best conditions, and they obviously, you know, were not. I don't think they played. Um, they were, I think, Rigoni and. Uh, Paradas were on the bench for against against Arsenal, so it's it's I I still think it's it is it is too early to um, call them a complete team because so many new players came in. Mancini is still getting uh, getting um, used to the league, um, to the different teams that he doesn't really know probably all those teams, so he still has to uh, learn about them. And uh, so I think it's and from what I remember. Every season when Zenit starts very very strong, they have this this spell of mm. fairly bad form, and I don't know what the, it comes from, but they always have the all the years where they started strong, they have this tough period. So the question is, how long will it last, and when Mancini will turn it around? Uh, and also going back to something that you man touched about two halves of the season, uh, this year it's slightly different because this year they play 20 games and only mm. 10 games uh, because of the World Cup. Yeah. So 20 games will be crammed in 2017. So pretty much if Zenit can keep those eight-point gap for the second half of the season, the job will be pretty much done. If they will be like three, four points, we will have a great half of the season in, in 2018. Yeah, the second half of the season is always um, a bit shorter, but this year, of course, is extreme. It's almost like a playoff, isn't it? Uh, exactly. After yeah. the winter, it's like bang, 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 we'll, we'll get the, the results coming in so quickly because the season, I think, comes back in March. So we basically just have March, April, and that's it. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. for ten games, yeah, yeah, yeah for plus ten cup. games, plus cup, plus international competitions, etc. So it's almost like a playoff, like a race, um, trying to to get it all finished up before you know the the country gets ready to host the World Cup, and that's that's going to be a fascinating story, I think. I think that um, you know, once the teams all come out of the winter break, who can who can basically race the fastest to the finishing line and deal with deal with the quick succession of games. And I think there's going to be other factors, like for example, how will Zenit do in the Europa League? How deep will they go in the Europa League? Well, we'll find out, of course, tonight how they will do. Um, Spartak, and this is this is really our next topic. Um, they look like they could get get out of there. <laughs> UCL group after absolutely dismantling Sevilla. I think of all the results, of all the results I've seen this week, that was the one I did not expect. Um, there was a few results I did not expect, but this was the one where I was like, wow, um, statement game by two teams in the group, actually, um, who are now, of course, the clear favorites. Liverpool, of course, dismantled Maribor 7-0. And, um, yeah, Tim, your team, Spartak. 5-1 against Sevilla. Um, the Quincy Promise go- show uh, really got underway in that one. And, um, you know, Spartak now hold a massive tiebreaker against Sevilla and uh, sitting comfortably in second spot to maybe get out of this group. Oh, I'm so happy. Uh, this is so amazing. This is historical game, and this is the game which will, uh, like, I will personally remember forever. Like, there's this, uh, you know, after this game happened, there was all those um, memories of those uh, beautiful Spartak's performances in the past. There's one which stands out as one against Real Madrid, 2-1 victory in Moscow, and then 4-1 against Arsenal London. 
uh, also in in Moscow on on the on a snow beach. So like, there's quite a few games which just stand out historically, and this one will be one of those games. It was just unbelievable. Uh, to be fair, it wasn't a five-one game. Sevilla were quite good, and they had chances. In my opinion, there was one chance the key Kambarov saved. If Kambarov didn't save, and if Sevilla would have Mm-hmm. Uh, gone up. I think it could have been five one the other way because because the way the game was heading, Sevilla wasn't great, but they were pretty good. Like they controlled the game, they had chances, they had the ball. But um, yeah, I think uh, we have to talk about Massimo Carrera v- winning this game because this counter attack style was just phenomenal. Everything what 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 he probably told the team to do, they it was done uh, executed perfectly, and his substitution of Popov for Pashalic, in my opinion, that was like the key moment because this is what the team needed. The Pashalic is way better on the ball and he was way, way, way more important than his passes in that second um, half. So I think it's uh, we have to speak about Massimo Carrera and him getting getting this right. Yeah, well, it's hard to say he didn't get it right after <laughs> a match like this one. <laughs> I mean, uh, Andrew... Um, what a performance! I, I think this is this is really unexpected, isn't it? Well, it it is. I mean, certainly certainly five one. I mean, uh, it was a game that I thought. Well, I think it's fairly clear that they had to target if they had ambitions of getting through to the next stage. Because if they lost this and then had to go back to Spain for the next game uh, on what would have been only two points from three games. We're very difficult to get a result in Spain. Um, then they really would have been probably not really much of a much hope of getting through. But <clears throat> yeah, it just it clicked, and I think I think uh, Tim is absolutely right. The focus really should be on Carrera because you notice the connection he has with the fans. That for me is a, is a big deal. But the way the media have been, I mean, I guess it's not a unique phenomenon, but they've been fairly merciless. I'd say up to up till about two or three weeks ago saying how he's on the edge of leaving, stirring up stories about arguments with the squad. Well, I never get the sense that he has a bad relationship with the squad. It seems the opposite to me. It always seems like he understands his players. And trusting a back four against a very, very experienced European side was, I think, a masterstroke because it meant that they would like to mention, you know, the the counter-attacking ability meant that they could put pressure on Sevilla at at the right moments. Um, and I think the fact that Carrera is able to do that with his players without really changing the personnel a great deal is actually pretty, is brilliant management, I think. Um, you know, I pick out, for example, the fact that you've got, um, you've got the likes of, um, Yashenko, who's what, 33 years old, Kambarov's in his 30s, um, you know, players like this that who can, who are still at this age able to change and adapt is, is down to Carrera. And and I'm, I'm I'm so pleased for him because he deserves it. He's a nice bloke. He's a great manager. Uh, he's a great motivator, a great man manager, and those are the type of characters you want to see in the league. So um, it was a surprise in one sense with the scoreline, but the tactical knowledge of his own players, I'm not surprised. Yeah, you know what? And I think that's the maybe it was the key for this match to go to four two three one um, away from. You know his his formation that he tried out a little bit the the you know the right three five two, um, the Conte style almost. Um, of course, Conte was heavily influenced by Carrera and vice versa, and uh, to go to this formation and to 
get stability in midfield and to also just, you know, um, utilize the, the quick wingers and attacking wingers that he has. I think that was, that's a brilliant move. And then, you know, if your manager realizes that, you know, that you have to make changes in order to get the results, that's always a good sign. I, I thought this, this was a fascinating game in so many ways. And, um, it brings us back to a theme that we've been following on, on the Football Grad Network for quite some time now. And, um, Tim, we, we recently spoke about that at the, um, the Whitecaps game is the unimportance of ball possession. Um, mm. you know, I got, get the number right in front of me and it's, um, Spartak had 37% ball possession in this match. And, <laughs> You know, this is actually one indicator that I usually oft, I like to go by. They were actually outshot in this game too. Um, but they lead, they led in shots on target. Um, and, you know, put, putting shots inside the box. Actually, they were outshot shots, shots are inside the box as well. They were basically outplayed in almost all the key areas. Um, which, which is an interesting one. It really is because it shows you that it was the, the efficiency and where they do lead in this in this category and all the statistics they had four fast breaks whereas civilians civilians none um and that's really where i think they they took them apart is they just were able to really hit severe on those really fast breaks and it shows you the unimportance of you know what for a long time we thought were key indicators to determine which team did better than the other is you know how how much value was put into ball possession i mean the dutch for example always put a ton of value into dutch into ball possession but it cost them now two international tournaments because teams do no longer um really need to have the ball in order to win and i think that is something that a theme that's that's also like reflected in this game in particular and uh, has been a big theme in general yeah, and like I think, in, even in more more recent years, it's, it came from Barcelona because they were known for playing the sticky tack under Guardiola and keeping to eighty nine percent of possession. Uh, but um, uh, I think it comes down to just the level of players because when you have uh, the level of that Barcelona players who can uh, keep the ball and also move forward, and when you have, uh, I would say, let's say, and <laughs> I don't <laughs> a, a lower class team. Uh, having the ball, but they can't really do anything with it. Um, so this just shows shows the level that, like you know, the 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 ball possession can be useful when you have players of absolutely top class. But when you have a lower lower level players, then then it's it's it 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 doesn't give you the same level of um, domination of the game. You just have the ball. Okay, good for you. Uh, but I also think it's just you know the way the football is changing, like with three five two and Spartak didn't play three five to this but it was similar idea that you know those quick counter attacks and like seed back be organized and uh, be organized in your defense and then just kill the opponent on those um, extremely fast counter attacks i think this is just the, the the game is going and really for that you don't really need the ball you just need to have to be organized in defense mm. be very um, structured very well and have those quick uh, breakthroughs really like you know um, i idealized yeah, it really is getting down to doesn't matter how often you have the ball, it matters what you do with the ball. Exactly. Um, and I think that's, that's really something, you know, uh, as we are, you know, as we are moving forward into, uh, this season and, um, in some parts of the world, the season is ending. This is, um, this is some, an interesting development, something to keep an eye on. But boys, I want to move this, 
to um, over to to Group F, Verschachte um, Donetsk, another side, you know, that in my opinion is is doing a wonderful job. Um, now on match day three, um, three games, two wins, one defeat, two Manchester City in Manchester. A game actually where they they didn't look very bad. Um, we had John McKenzie on the ground, and he was of course on after that match day on this on this podcast, and he really emphasized how how well Schachter Donetsk did in Manchester, um, considering the differences of you know a budget etc. and um, how long they were in that game, and that game in Manchester wasn't decided until Sterling put it away in the 90th minute. Now they went to Feyenoord and um, won again. You know they went down early. Um, Steven Berkhaus, which is the guy that I uh, labeled as the player to watch in my preview. But um, two really nice goals by Bernard to, to win that game, Andrew. And, you know, Schachter Donetsk, um, they're three points ahead of Napoli. They, um, they're looking very good. I mean, another win by Schachter and home against Feyenoord. And they could be already clear to basically get a, get second spot in this group, and that would be enormously unexpected, wouldn't it? Well, it it would in recent years because you know we've been almost a bit let down because you know in you know say go back about five years and Shakhtar really were you know one of the top at least Europa League contenders, and you know people looked to them uh, with a bit of fear, and I think that's. That's the hard job they've got on their hands now. They've got in themselves in a good position, but they've still got to battle against what I would call a lot of their fear factor. And, you know, we, we know how every, all the listeners, regular listeners will know how much we love Bernard, um, Bernard or however you pronounce it. Um, so for him to get two goals, one of, I think it's important that the key players, the, the ego players, the creative players are on the score sheet because it, they're the ones who, you need to have their tails up. You need to have their attitude up. So to get an away win in the Champions League against anybody is a, is a great result because it just, that's, those are the bonus points, I, I call it. You've got to win your games at home, win one game away, and you're pretty much through to the next stage. So if they, um, they welcome Feyenoord in the next game, they should be fairly confident of winning that game. And then on nine points with two games still to play. So it's, um, it's looking pretty good for them. And yeah, I just it's it's good it's good for Ukrainian football. And let, let's be honest, we don't want to go over old ground too much. But the what Shakhtar have been through in the last you know three four years, mm. I think I don't I think many neutrals would begrudge them a little bit of success, um, especially when they play such entertaining football as well. So um, yeah, I, I'm delighted for them, and I am surprised I admit. But now they put themselves in the best position, so you know, fair credit to them. One and when you when I think it really comes down to the first game against Napoli, right? Tim, I mean Napoli are one of those sides that a lot of a lot of the football hipsters really love. Um, they the great history of Maradona, of course, but they have a have put together a really good side. They're challenging, really challenging Juventus for the title this year in the Serie A, breaking up um, sort of the monopoly that Juventus had. But um, other than the game against Feyenoord. Napoli haven't really a neither impressed, but b um, also shown that they kind of I don't know how to put this, but they sort of seem to lack that European experience that Schachter obviously have. You know, Schachter has an enormous European pedigree. Uh, remember last season in the Europa League, they were undefeated. They won all all six of their group stage games, and they're showing that little bit of experience um, that 
second goal um, that Fred, for example, that through pass oh. to just slice apart the, the, the entire entire Rotterdam defense. That's experience, you know, just to know where you where you're gonna play that ball and to um, get the job done in a in a, such a tight uh, situation against a Rotterdam team that was pressing. I mean, that's just incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, that that goal was amazing. That pass is just unbelievable. It's just like it's top top level and one probably one of the best passes in that match day. Um, but the, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for Shakhtar and. Um, Really, like when I just looked at the group, I was like, okay, there's no chance. Like they they will get there. They we should fight with uh, Feyenoord for Europa League. But look at them now; they are really in a, like in a driving seat to get the second spot and get out of this group. Because I watched Manchester City Napoli game, and Manchester City were just phenomenal. It was mm. just it was they were level above. And Napoli is a great team, and they tried to play, but it was very hard to play against Manchester City. So I don't really see even they going away. Uh, I think it will be hard for Napoli to get a victory against Man City at home, maybe a tie, but Shakhtar playing home at Feyenoord and they can find themselves in a position being ahead of Napoli six to five points with two games to go. That's a very strong position to be in. So mm. uh, I think it just it's just the way it works for Shakhtar, just good for them. Like it's uh, like Andrew said, what the, what the team and the the city, the region went through in the recent three years, like really, like uh, all the neutrals should be just sub- given a little bit of credit and supporting Shakhtar. And really, in in such a hard group final, there's also champions of, of of Holland. Yeah. So so it's 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 a big achievement. It's a big achievement for Shakhtar if they make out of this group. Push all all credit to them. Yeah, and I think I really want to point out that, you know, they had, of course, Shakhtar Donetsk, a really fantastic coach, and Messia Luchesco, and he left um, last summer, not this summer, last summer. And um, they went out, and instead of buying a whole bunch of new players, they went out and spent big money on Paulo Fonseca. And I always thought it would be very difficult for Shakhtar to find an upgrade on Messia Luchescu. And they actually did it. I think Paulo, Paulo Fonseca is one of the best young coaches out there in the Champions League right now. And what he has done with the squad is magnificent. He's, he's doing magnificent work. Uh, Schachter have, I think, bought one guy over since he's been there. And that's, um, Lijuk Blanco Lijuk. And, um, yeah, that's just the, 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 the performances and the results he's been getting. Yeah. In, incredible. Really good stuff. So uh, maybe a coaching name. To look out for uh, in the long term, because I think he he's making really big waves in European football. But guys, I want to move it over to uh, CSKA Moscow and Andrew. Before we started this pod, you were rewatching the highlights of the CSKA Moscow game. I had the uh, the pleasure of watching this game live, and um, kind of ninety minutes that I kind of want to have back, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> because this was this was a a poor game, and B, yep. what's going on with CSKA? I mean, tactically, the setup was all wrong. They had the, they were in such a good position when they when they um, beat Benfica on match day one. I think the only for me personally, the only bright spot for CSKA um, was once again Shamaletinov. I, I thought yep. he was the only player on that pitch who was close to Champions League level. Everyone else was an utter disappointment. And, um, you know, the Chaka goal, of course, fantastic. And But you were saying it. They could have lost this game 5-6-0. 
It was, yeah, it was just huge, hugely disappointing. Um, I mean, the 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 Jacques goal. It's just, it's the sort of goal that you know you would your eleven year old, your under 11s coach at school would be furious at because the defence just back away, they back away. It looks like a defence that had never played together before, which is so strange because they are so. They're so settled in the formation. They can't have any excuses of, oh, well, it's a new formation. We're not used to playing in this combination. We know how thin their squad is and therefore how often they've played together. So they don't have that excuse. And he just backed away. He had all the space in the world. And he very well struck shot, very well placed. But absolutely no way in hell should he have got that shot away. And yeah, you mentioned Jamal Letninoff. Let's, let's pick on the positives at least at least for a moment. He he did, like you say, look again like the one player who could make a difference. And at least that is a positive. Um, what I would say is it looks now um, it looks now very much like uh, Tiska will be able to, or perhaps will choose to, focus on the league. Um, and in a, it, I, I don't like going down this route, but financially, and we've heard about the financial troubles they're under, you know, potentially losing Fernandes and Golovin in the summer, we've heard. Um, it might be, I hate saying it, it might be the best thing for them. You know, they've got their Champions League money for this season, for the group status at least. Qualify for it next season is almost more of a priority because they've got no hope in hell of going anywhere in the Champions League. So, um, I I don't know, it's it's disappointing to be in that position though, isn't it, Manu? You know, where the club are at that stage where they're not developing, they're not growing enough to have a genuine shot at improving their record in the the competition. But at the same time, you you don't want them to just, well, I wouldn't say they gave up, but they they just offered nothing. And it's particularly disappointing given how much spirit they showed away to Krasnodar um, a couple of weeks ago and now they welcome back Golovin and Pontus Vermbloom and yet they still looked um, they still fell to pieces I just I, I really was let down by it and and I think that's their European campaign uh, that's their campaign over as far as I'm concerned yeah yeah I think that's not a bad bet I think that I can't see them go to Basel and win there Um I simply can't see it happening. And then, you know, that if Basel win that game at home against CSKA, then there's six points clear, uh, because I, I simply believe that Manchester United will beat Benfica. And then, uh, you know, you're in a situation where Manchester United and Basel are pretty much through, which is disappointing, especially given how the, how it kicked off for CSKA with that famous win in, at Benfica. But I guess Benfica are just a poor side. Um, you know, I know they held United to to be at bay for quite a long time but it's it doesn't seem like there is much there at Benfica right now so it looks like Basel and uh, Benfica to me which is really too bad and you mentioning those those um possible transfers I think Mario Fernandez was always going to go the moment he got his Russian citizenship sorted and um his ability to play for the the Russian Federation and he's going to be in the World Cup squad next summer right so he's going to be in the shopping window but his selling him and Golovin um this will sound really odd to maybe both of you but I feel like when I look at their youth sites and the youth players that are coming through there's a lot of attacking talent coming through but almost nothing in defense and that's the area that they need to improve. And if they can get money to sell by selling Fernandez and Golovin and uh, 
bring in the youth, the, the attacking players that they have in youth. Someone, you know, play Shamalettinov, but some of the other guys that are also in the squad and finally renovate the backside, um, with the money. I think they're actually going to be in a decent position in the long term. I mean, I, I look at that defense with Beresutsky, Ignashevich, you know, it's just, you said backing up. I think they just simply weren't moving because they were frozen to the ground or, you know, the wheelchair wasn't working or whatever you, you want to call it. I think it's just, these guys are too old. It's just not a modern defense anymore. So I think personally, I think they have to maybe look at some of the pieces that they can make to money by and then use that money to improve other parts of the site. And I mean, Tim, this has been something we've been talking about. I feel like almost like a broken record. We've been talking about that for such a long time, haven't we? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And you know, you both bring up this point that you know the club, as 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 a, as an organization, have been milking the system of not spending money and relying on experienced players and using loans and young players for way too long. Like once the Birzuski and Ignashevich retire, and if they were to sell those two, the team will have uh, the club. The team would have to go through a massive revolution, and revolution is a, probably a soft word for it, because uh, like it, the whole like I think they really extended this whole no spending money policy, and obviously they didn't do it probably by choice because just Ginner probably had some financial issues, but I think they. They they painted themselves in corners so much that uh, a ma- like a massive revolution required. Like if you if they lose half of that squad, like where these people are coming from, and most like like you know if they make money on Champions League and on potential transfer of Golovin or Fernandez, then maybe they would have money. But still, I don't think that's enough to rebuild the. Ho- they pretty much need to rebuild the whole squad, and um, it's really interesting. And a little bit worrying if you're at CSKA and what will happen next after 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 this season because I I really think it's it's the way past due uh, for the rebuild of the whole team the whole squad and um, it's it's a bit scary. Yeah, I think so too. I think especially in defense, then that's that's a big uh, project for them. I think going forward, that's where they have to do the most. But yeah, that's um, at least in my opinion. Uh, there is there is another enormous pro- pro- prospect there in Chamalettinov. I think um, the Guardian pointed him out all the way back in 2013 um, as one to watch, and I think he's finally arriving at that stage. So um, that's one piece of good news. I think there is players there in the form of Golovin who can be made to money, and I think that's that's a good good prospect for the Russian national team because I think some of these kids have to play abroad uh, to learn and to, to get better and uh, you know Alexander Golovin is one of them and I, I hear that a whole bunch of clubs are interested in him including Borussia Dortmund so we'll see where, where that's going to go so yeah you know bleak prospects from now CSKA Moscow in the Champions League um, I guess we'll, we'll revisit this entire issue after uh, the game in Basel but boys, I wanna wanna take this to um the last game that we're gonna cover and this has been maybe the other result that's surprised me, and that was in group C. Uh the group of death in my opinion, the group of death and Karabach and uh Chelsea Roma Atletico Madrid and Tim Atletico Madrid with a big boo boo <laughs> going to Azerbaijan and 
walking away with a 0-0 draw. That's maybe one of the biggest surprises on this match day, isn't it? And it really puts Atletico in a very awkward situation. Yeah, it does. And uh, I'm a big, I, I like Atletico Madrid. I like those teams, uh, like Simeone-style teams. I really enjoy those counter-attacking, organized teams. So I'm, yeah, disappointed, but good for Karabakh. Good for them. Like, I watched the highlights of the game, and it, it wasn't, like, all one-sided. It wasn't just Atletico uh, completely dominating the game. Karabakh actually had chances and had chances in the end of the game, which were... Um, so good for them. It's a new side uh, for the Champions League. Um, we've talked about Azerbaijan quite a bit on the pod. So it's definitely good if you take a look from the angle of Karabakh. But for Atletico Madrid, it really, really um, makes the situation very complicated. Uh, b- because they're already three points beyond uh, Roma. And, um, well, if they win at home and Roma loses, it's all back. But still, you know, this is this was this was a must win game for them and um they didn't they didn't do it well so yeah i would say i would agree with you maybe you know the scoreline of spartak sevilla game is one of the biggest surprises but that's definitely up there with the surprises of the match day yeah i watched this game i i thought a couple of things i want to point out the red card against uh dino and luvo i thought that was uh disgraced by the referee um, you know, and, and Luvo goes into the box, tries to step past this man and is brought down. It's not a penalty by any means, but it's not a dive. And I, I don't know why, um, the referee chose to take him out of the game for that because obviously it's not a simulation. And, um, you know, only because it's not a penalty doesn't mean the guy dived. And I think he, he robbed Karabach of maybe winning this game because even with a man down, they were going at Atletico over and over again. And um, a couple of the players that I want to point out, of course, is uh, Mahir Matadov. He he had a great game. Um, Richard, he was another very good player. Um, I think they, the, the way they reacted to the, the booking, the double booking, but also the way they, they um, followed the match plan and really got the job done and, you know, with a little luck, could have even won this game. I think that that would have been an even bigger sh- shock. Uh, I said that Karabakh will get three points, um, mostly because of their home games. And I think that still could happen. Um, I mean, Andrew, looking back, Roma went there and did not have the easiest tough times either, didn't they? I mean, there was a really close result. And it seems, seems like that Baku in general is a difficult place to play at. Well, it is. I mean, it's it's an unknown quantity for a lot of. Well, I mean, quite literally, nobody's nobody's played them at this level before. So, um, they, you know, the the amount of the amount of money that is in the Azerbaijan game overall is not is not deeply spread. But there are a few teams, and Karabakh are one of the few who do have significant backing. Um, but I, you know, one other thing I would point out, just a little note really as much as anything is you see so many teams nowadays in the Champions League um, fielding next to none of the you know nationals of the country they represent but Karabakh did have six Azerbaijani players in there so it wasn't like they flooded they they flooded their team full of you know South Americans who are um, just looking for a quick way into European football they do have a route of of genuine Azerbaijani football and that that's a really positive thing I mean you know Azerbaijan played Germany recently and um, and they 
you know, they were <laughs> they were never going to win that game. But Shadayev um, scored a, a very nice goal. Very talented player, brought up into the youth system, admittedly. But Karabakh are doing a good job at it too. So um, that's what pleased me the most, um, if I'm honest. That they are fighting well. They they've got enough quality to at least compete. They're never likely to qualify for the knockout, but that's not really their target, is it? Their target is to get here and not disgrace themselves to start with and build up slowly, and that's what they're doing. So um, no teams are going to go there thinking this is an easy game anymore. And, you know, if they can build on this result, then, you know, it will be great not just for them, but also for Azerbaijani and football in the region in general. You know, people start to think, well, hang on a minute, this isn't a guaranteed three points. So, um yeah, I, I, how they do from here on in, probably not a lot more than this, but this is pretty amazing, so historic for them. Yeah, I, I think um, some interesting stuff happening for sure in in uh, Azerbaijan in, in its football development. I mean, Karabakh is pretty much the biggest side and um, so many Azeri national team players playing in that side. Uh, Richard, of course, the Brazilian is now naturalized. He's been playing in, playing for Karabakh Aktam for, su- for such a long time. He now holds an Azeri passport. So he, he's, um, he's another one. And, uh, Matadov, a very young, um, winger who's only 20 years old. He's playing now at this level. I think in general, this is going to be, have a big impact on the football in the country. And it's a really interesting phenomenon that, you know, Azerbaijan, they, they always had a representative in the Soviet Vishaya Liga in uh, Nefchi Baku. Um, but unlike the other two countries in the region, Armenia and uh, Georgia, you know, they've really come out of the, the, the breakup of the Soviet Union almost stronger than they were before. You know, Dinamo Tbilisi was, of course, a giant in uh, Soviet football, as was Ararat Erevan. And those two teams have done nothing since the collapse of the Soviet Union, whereas Azeri football has gone from strength to strength. And Karabakh is, of course, the first team from that entire region to reach a Champions League group stage, um, something that, you know, is is quite significant as well. So I think it's really interesting how, and of course, oil and gas helps. The money make you make you make with oil and gas helps. But it's interesting how Azerbaijan um, has basically, of the three countries, done the most. Even though they had uh, had, um, you know, they were the, they're the furthest back in the Soviet Union. So it's an interesting development, and I think um, it's going to be a fascinating one to watch. I mean, last year they had two teams in the Europa League group stage as well. And it's it's going to only help them. And uh, Baku is one of the host cities um, for the 2020 Mega European Championships. We can think about that tournament, whatever you want. I, I personally prefer to have it in one country. But, um, you know, it's going to also have help small countries like Azerbaijan um, to grow the game. So it's going to be an interesting one to follow, a very interesting storyline to follow. But boys... Um, that pretty much sums up the, the teams that we cover on a regular basis in the Champions League. Um, couple things really that stood out maybe, um, aside and maybe each of us can go through and point out a couple things. Um, I had a close eye on the RB Leipzig game and, um, that Augustine, what do you even call that? Uh, it's making his round and made the rounds on uh, our WhatsApp chat, our football crowd network WhatsApp chat. Wow. Um, and that was for me, maybe the game of the entire Champions League, um, match day between Porto and Leipzig because it was such a 
breathtaking game and Augustine had such a fantastic game as well. So that's maybe the one thing that stood out to me. Um, Tim, anything that you noticed on this match day? Uh, well, like I said uh, on the spot before, I support uh, Dortmund. So for me, their uh, not victory at Cyprus was an un- unfortunate surprise. So mm. I was really disappointed with that. Uh, obviously, for me, the highlight was Spartak Sevilla. I watched the Manchester City-Napoli game and was just amazed by the level of Man City and Besiktas. Ho, ho. Yeah. Like, what's going on there? Uh, I'm just looking at the on Wikipedia. They have this... Uh, the only team who has an X next to this uh, to their name, mm. and it says that it assured at least Europa League spot or advance to the knockout phase. So, th- out of all teams, when we have like you know Manchester City's, Barcelona's, and Real Madrid of the world, Besiktas is the team who are the first to uh, somewhat qualify to Europa League. Uh, unbelievable, impressive um, performance came really out of nowhere. I don't really follow Besiktas. I just looked at their uh, lineup, and it's uh, more of the where are they now kind of lineup yeah. uh, but um, good for them yeah bang 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 right come to Besiktas anyways <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bigger surprise too we'll see if they can follow this up I think uh, they're, they're in a, a good situation now because they are playing Monaco next they can eliminate Monaco in advance and then I think it will be between Porto and Leipzig for that uh, second spot in that group Dortmund yeah. yeah let's talk about something different Andrew um, what stood out for you <laughs> Well, I mean, as an Englishman, I was very, very intrigued to see how Spurs would cope away to Real Madrid because they, I think the last four times they met them, they failed to score and they played not their, well, you know, strong tie, of course, but they played a different side you'd expect. Harry Winks is, he got a a call up to the England squad um, for the first time, which surprised everybody because he's not a regular by any means for Spurs. And he was put right in the centre of midfield to hold that midfield together against Real Madrid with all their attacking talent. Isco with Luka Modric, Tony Cruz threading passes through. Um, and they, well, more than held their own. Um, they, they took the lead. And, um, you know, to see to see an English side, I, I know English football gets a, a bit of flack, but I'm, I'm pleased to see English football um, represent itself well. Um, and in the Champions League so far this season, uh, knowing the sides have lost, we've had 10 wins. Um, I believe it is in four draws, is it? I can't quite remember. Something like that. Um, but Spurs did England very proud there. So a, a great point for them uh, away to Real Madrid. Um, and they should be looking to be one of the stronger teams in the knockouts if they get through. So yeah, that was that's what stood out for me as well. Yeah, I'm sure that's only a blip, Andrew. Anyways... <laughs> <laughs> You you know my opinion about this whole thing. Uh, but uh, I have to admit, English sides are looking very good. But I guess that's what happened when you spend a trillion pounds uh, every summer. Um, sooner or later, you'll get results just because of it's kind of like rolling dice. The thing that maybe stood out to me, Tottenham against Real, I had an eye on that game. And uh, I almost wonder if the two sides realized that the draw would basically see them both go through. Because they must have known what's happened in Dortmund. And um, it's, yeah, a bit unfortunate. Because I, I'm pretty sure that Real Madrid has the quality to uh, put away a side like Tottenham Hotspurs. But that's a, maybe a topic for a different day. Guys, that pretty much wraps up the, the Champions League action part. But I think there's some really positive news coming out of Russia as well regarding the national team. And... Um, 
you were really excited, Andrew, because Argentina actually qualified straight up for the World <laughs> Cup, and you you um you can go to yeah. Moscow and see them play play yeah. Russia. Now, of course, if you had missed that game, we now know that there is two other choosy national teams coming in Spain and Brazil. What's going on? They went from playing Dynamo <laughs> Moscow, Iran, and South Korea to basically playing Argentina, Spain, and Brazil. Um, but it's positive, it's, isn't it? The, the, the only explanation is it wasn't actually the Russian Football Union that set this up. It was somebody who actually understands football. Um, I mean, just you, you could barely you could barely choose three more glamorous, exotic, but high class opponents to play um, in a row, and. It's it's just it's fantastic to see. I mean, I I actually am a strong believer, not just because I I live in this country and I have a lot of affection for Russia, but it doesn't matter where you are. I think any host country needs to have a needs to have a boost. There needs to be excitement about the tournament when it hosts, and I like to see host teams do well wherever it is. Um, and the fact that these friendlies are lined up now. If the Russian public can't get behind these games, then there really is no hope whatsoever. Um, but I think they will. And I think they will They will fill out. The Luzhniki will be played at twice. The Brazil and Argentina will be in the Luzhniki. Spain in the Krestovsky. And in St. Petersburg, they've shown themselves to be brilliant managers of the stadium. They're filling it out well. The social media is good. And I'm sure they will use the club's connections to the local public to drum up support. So they're going to be three games packed out, top-class opposition, but most importantly... I will be there. So that's the most, that's what I'm bothered about. I'll be honest. <laughs> um, but uh, what sort of a test they'll bring? Well, I think this is actually makes these friendlies very, very important for Chichesov because we've spoken about this before. He's taken probably a bit too long to approach what looks like a Chichesov 11, but now he's got three great opportunities to genuinely start honing down his you know, more or less his first choice 11 or exactly what he wants to see in the finals. Now, officially, experimentation time has gone. He cannot afford it anymore. These will be wasted opportunities to throw in, you know, fringe players at this point, in my view, for the whole team. One or two, yes, but the set, the core of the team has got to be decided now. So I actually think it's a really, it's, it's great news, entertainment-wise, but also very important news for the development of the team with the World Cup in mind. So I hope that Chichesos steps up to the plate in this one and picks the right teams with the right attitude. And I think, hand on heart, I think he will. Yeah, Tim, uh, maybe final thought on this. How how important will be the results in these three games? Because, you know, the results could also go negative when you play mm. the likes of Argentina, Spain and Brazil. Mm. So um, the question is, like really maybe final question on this part what do you think what kind of impact these games will have in that regard i think those will be pretty important games and maybe not from the footballing side but pretty much from emotional side of things if uh, if russia or if russia can get uh, any result out of those games i think it will be general optimism if it we will be battered three times in a row, um, then which will be just a general pessimistic approach um, uh, against the tournament. And I don't think it's fair to translate those results to the actual tournament, because uh, Russia won't be playing Brazil, Argentina and um, and uh, Spain in, in, the, in the group. They will be playing teams like um, 
Iran and uh, South Korea just because of the way the the group is settled. So I think it's it's not it will be more emotional uh, the way the nations approaches the World Cup more than the footballing result uh, outcome of those uh, friendly games. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, of course, um, the the Russian Football Union hopes that Russia will play the likes of um, Argentina, Spain, and Brazil eventually. Um, and with that, I mean that they're reaching the knockout stages. Of course, this Russia is seeded for the, the draw, right? So they can't, um, I don't believe they can get any of those three countries in yeah. the group stage. Um, but yeah, eventually you want to play against. And when you, when you look at the teams that they were playing leading up to this, um, they had some interesting opposition, mm-hmm. but they didn't have any of the heavy hitters, um, at this point. So. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting three games. It's an it's three really good games. Well, of course, we're going to preview them on Football Garden and Andrews. Um, you are there for the Argentina game, so there will be lots of content coming um, your way from the Football Grad Network um, in and around those games. And as the country is getting ready for for the World Cup, um, you know, we're stepping up. We already stepped up our content um you know as the comfort cups launched and the 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 everything that's going towards russia right now so um another three stories really to follow but yeah boys that wraps up our podcast for today so tim tell me um what's going on um what are you up to what do you want to promote where can people find you um yeah like uh i first before like i I'd plug myself i am very excited for the upcoming um match day of in russian league because spartak plays amkar and then csk plays zenit and Lokomotiv plays krasnodar it's a very important match day going forward for, for the league or everything what we discussed so i'll be uh watching that closely and uh you can find me on uh twitter russian tim 61 and uh get a whole bunch of uh retweets about spartak uh-huh. Yeah, always fun. Andrew, what's going on in your life? What do you want to promote? Uh, where can people find you? Um, well, yeah, I'll be doing uh, doing previews as, as usual on on Football Grad Network. Um, I've uh, we do, I've been part of uh, for the last year or so uh, at these Football Times print magazine. We just um, the Brazil edition has just gone out on sale. Uh, it's been delivered, I should say. It's almost it's almost sold out already. I've got to be honest, but I'm really proud of that one. So. If you're lucky, have a look. Um, go to the These Football Times website. Have a look and try and order one there. Um, we've got some exciting issues planned, and I'm going to be writing one for the next issue this weekend. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how that's received. Um, and, yeah, more more previews for Football Grad. Yeah, oh, you mean the Football Grad. Um, we previewed all the – we previewed eight Champions League games and eight Europa League games. Um, yeah, it's super busy this week. So, these were all put up and then um of course going forward we we have the uh, Bundesliga games a couple of Bundesliga games go up but um the game that I'm really excited about and uh, you two will probably laugh at me but 1860 is uh playing Bayern's reserve side on on Sunday <laughs> and that's been a been a game that's been really hyped up in Munich at the Grünwalder Stadion um, is it a derby? derby? It, it, I guess it is. Um, <laughs> you know, because we hadn't had a Bayern 1860 derby since 2008. So there's a lot of hype about this game. And uh, that, that game will be on Sunday and there will be a big preview on Fußballstadt.com. Um, I know I sh- for some reason I get really excited when 
thinking about all the stuff that's going on in 1860. Uh, who knew that a relegation is actually so healthy for a club? But it seems to be it really is. So, um, yeah, that's that's a big game for us on Sunday. And uh, you can find the background, the history, all that kind of stuff. We'll, we'll have a little bit of a few things, uh, fun things on fußballstadt.com about this game. And, yeah, looking forward to that one. So, yeah, that pretty much concludes it um, this week for us. Guys, um, if, if you like this podcast, if you uh, want to leave a comment, if you want to let us know how we're doing, a review, etc., please go to iTunes. Let us know what we can do better. Um, if you like the pod, great, fantastic. Positive feedback is always welcome too. So yeah, if you could please do that, that'd be fantastic. Anyways, guys, that's it. Um, until next week, das Vidanje. natural healthy looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon it's easy with conair jumbo and super jumbo hot rollers these 12 ceramic flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds and because they're infused with ceramic they transfer heat evenly for big bouncy long-lasting curls twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection wire clips ensure a secure hold makes a great gift for yourself or someone special go to conair.com for jumbo and super jumbo hot rollers now it wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy right celebrate the holiday season with the holiday crush they've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun packed challenges every week for five whole weeks finishing on january 4th the more challenges you complete the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards so are you ready to crush the holidays play the holiday crush now download it from the app store google play or windows store for free terms and conditions apply Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.